Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, in a very special post-Memorial Day episode, have on the other line avenging uh, the death of his mother at the hands of a pair of Dalmatians. It's Hunter Heilman. Um, they were actually Belgian Melanois. Um, they have better fur anyway. Um, you don't need as many for a nice coat. I I just can't. Like. I just can't believe that after uh, weeks and weeks of me just like privately joking with people, like, what if what if Cruella opens with just basically like the the Dalmatian version of like the the Waynes being murdered. <laughs> And Batman or something, and like that's the reason why she she murders those puppies in 101 Dalmatians. And then, sure enough, something kind of like that <laughs> happens. I have feelings about this. Uh, well, well, welcome, welcome, Hunter. Uh, this week, exciting news. Oh no, we're back, baby. Oh, movies, let's go. Ah, that was me attempting to flip over a chair. Riveting. Yeah. Do you enjoy that? Um, yeah, like a six out of ten, I guess. Okay. Uh, well, it's it kind of feels normal. Majority of um, or you know, enough Americans that feel comfortable going back to theaters after being. Who feel vaccinated. comfortable enough taking their mask off, sitting right next to me, pretty much. Yeah. That's that's the awkward reality that we now and live in. Both times I went to the movies this weekend. They wasted, they heard that AMC changed their rules and they wasted no time. See, I, I only saw one of these in a theater. By the way, this week we're talking about both uh, Cruella and A Quiet Place 2, kind of the big new releases of the week. Um, I only saw one of these in a theater and I was actually like the only person in my row. So it, it like really didn't feel different at all to me. Yeah, I saw, I saw both in theaters. I saw Cruella and Dolby and I saw... A Quiet Place in IMAX, and I wish, honestly, I kind of wish I'd watched Cruella at home, just because so many people, I mean, it, I was surrounded by Disney people with no masks, so, like, I was like, I should have just spent the $30, I should have just spent $30, I don't know why I wanted to save money and use my A-list, I know it's Dolby Cinema, I know it's beautiful, all this, I want to go home. And then, two days later, here I am, back at the same theater, seeing another movie, <laughs> But at least this, okay, and in my defense, I have no other way to see A Quiet Place, though. That's true. You could, I suppose, wait a month and a half or whatever, however long it is until it shows up on Paramount+. Plus. But then you is, have to get Paramount+. Plus. That's true. I actually have Paramount+, <laughs> Plus, but, like, still. Is, is Paramount+, Plus worth it? It's not bad, actually. It's got, okay. good, it's got good, it's got pretty good stuff on it. Um, I'm waiting for, I'm very interested to see how it goes once Paramount starts sending their like actual theatrical releases there right. after, you know, 45 days. So, you know, once the quiet places, the snake eyes, the top guns. So you'll get to see the new Mark Wahlberg is reincarnated movie that is going directly to Paramount plus. Yeah. I didn't watch that trailer because I saw Mark Wahlberg and I was like, I'm not into it, but like, you know, I guess Antoine Fuqua is getting a check. It, it kind of looks like, a movie that is is maybe going on uh just paramount plus because it's maybe being dumped that's that's what it kind of looks like it doesn't look like uh oh we're we're gonna start uh rolling out some big stuff on paramount plus it looks like oh i don't know if we would have made money off of this 
Yeah, it's like Spongebob movie, this... Is there anything else going to Paramount Plus? I can't remember. But like, you know, and obviously the new deal with Paramount itself, sending smaller films to... It's smaller films after a month and bigger ones after 45 days, correct? Yes. Yeah. It's so. it's something like it's it's like a little over a month. Yeah. Is is the the time frame. Um well, let's just like jump right into it. Um I suppose the first movie let's talk about is Cruella, which is the new live action prequel about Cruella DeVille, the villain from 101 Dalmatians. Um I just had the first um, ask, and is- 102 Dalmatians as well. Oh, Duh. that's true. I forgot there was a a, a sequel to to, I mean, that. it's a live action. <laughs> you look shocked. Pre- it's a live action prequel to the live action version of an animated film. Yes. So, yeah, is is one hundred one Dalmatians just like as a thing, like important to you? Like, no. I'm actually really curious to see like no. what the the box office numbers, so to speak, are going to be for this because I walked in a little bit like do. Like Glenn Close as Cruella Deville in the live action nineties. People have feelings. I'm I'm like the one homosexual who like never was into those movies. So like okay, but like I've seen clips obviously of like Close's performance. But like I actually went into this kind of blind because I've never actually seen Hundred and One Dalmatians because I never felt the need to. I mean, I've seen I think the live action version once, but like watched the animated version constantly as a kid. That was just like one of those Disney movies that was on rotation. But I don't know if that was just like the weird Nussman household or if that is like a very popular Disney movie that a lot of people grew up with. I didn't well, I was I weirdly like didn't have a very Disney fied childhood. Okay. I mean, like, I watched Disney Channel, but we never watched a lot. Of, I didn't see a lot of the animated movies until I was, like, well into my teens. So, um, that's, I feel like I'm kind of from the more outlier household. I feel like more people are um, relatively familiar with it. And, you know, even, like, playing, like, Kingdom Hearts growing up, I learned a little bit about 101 Dalmatians because I had seen them. I mean, like, you can see in my background, my childhood was Grease too. Um, so I and Event Horizon. My it wasn't really my childhood. <laughs> okay, um, I do have an Underworld poster over there too. So if that shows how good of parents my parents were, um, I wasn't watching many Disney movies. But um, but yeah, I always it interested me. I mean, her character interested me more than the story itself did. Therefore, I kind of went into this like, good, we're cutting out all the fat. We're just getting to the one character I want to see. And sometimes that can go really terribly. And sometimes, like, sometimes the supporting character doesn't need to be the main character. I think in this circumstance, it shockingly works. Yeah, you like this movie, I think, a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. But I, I I, probably have some very, like, complicated uh, feelings of it that I, I'm just going to, like, let you kind of, like, spread your wings and and sort of soar into the the cruella verse because i i don't think i'm necessarily going to disagree with anything you say as opposed to there is just one specific aspect of this movie that was just like i'm not i'm not i'm not vibing with this i'm not drinking the kool-aid yeah um i this is one of the first mainline disney movies in a long time that i can genuinely say that i saw and i loved disney hasn't necessarily disappointed me in recent years as much as i just don't really feel much of any soul from much of it at all right um 
and like don't get me wrong Cruella is it's a corporatized Disney IP that they're you know they made for money because of course they make everything for money so there is that sort of like predisposition of like what you're expecting from like a Disney movie especially after something like Maleficent or excuse me the second Maleficent movie where they really retcon a lot of the original story to fit into the like she's bad but she's also kind of good like narrative and I like Maleficent but I feel like Cruella distanced itself so much from the story of 101 Dalmatians of what I understand from it Mm -hmm. uh more so than the other films have to where it does feel separate and I feel like especially with Craig Gillespie behind the camera there's something I mean there is something kind of I Tanya-y about it where it's you're following someone you're not supposed to like but there's something both magnetic about their personality and the performance behind you know the personality that just is really interesting I find I think Emma Stone's really engaging as Cruella DeVille in a different way than Glenn Close was. Um, And then on top of that, it's hard for me not to really get into a movie that's pretty much an Ocean's movie mixed with The Devil Wears Prada. I would more so say I'm more attracted to The Devil Wears Prada part, which luckily I think is the bulk of this movie. But it's it's a surprisingly mature movie. It's PG-13. Like, it's it's not, Mm -hmm. you know... I wouldn't say it's a kids movie. I would say it's like a It's like preteens. Like yeah, I'd say like, like literally PG thirteen. I feel like it's made for like thirteen to sixteen year old like girls and gays who like feel a little ostracized, feel a little like, you know, strange. They like shop at Hot Topic. Like they I mean, I was that kid. Once. I, I can only imagine the merchandise at the hot Could to- you, is hot, I, is hot topic still around? Yes. I should have I should have went. So I saw it at the I saw this at the Dolby Cinema at Top Point Mall. I should have went into the hot topic and just seen how much black, white, and red was all over the place. I guarantee you it's it's everywhere. <laughs> like what what shitty wigs you can buy, like, oh God. But like you know, it's just I think it's pretty harmless but i also think that the people who are in it i i feel like craig gillespie is really good at mastering what tone he wants to convey of a film which is kind of the main reason i have a problem with this whole like film twitter roasting it for you know the you know dalmatians killed corella's mom it's like yeah she did and it's supposed to be funny it's not this tragic like Simba moment it literally is played in context fully like a moment from like a like Curb Your Enthusiasm or like it it felt very Tim Burton-ish like this whole movie felt by like Devil Wears Parada by way of Tim Burton or something like that yeah or like again very I Tanya of just like I just feel like people should be giving really impassioned interviews to the camera of like what the fuck was I supposed to do in this situation um so you know I think it it fits well and i it really does like it plays like an arrested development skit it's like campy and it knows it and knows like how to hit those hit those beats differently than what like a film that's taking itself a little bit more seriously does and that doesn't mean that the film doesn't take itself seriously but Mm -hmm. it's very lighthearted. it's very like you know it wouldn't fit again like you said with tim burton 
like things those things have to be funny but they're admittedly incredibly dark too it's like right. her mom getting knocked off a cliff and fucking dying is pretty tragic like it's sad but it's funny in the film because it just like hits that dun 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 dun, dun like moment like I, I don't know it just has this thing and it's like whenever people roast things like that out of context i'm like what do you think you're getting at you didn't get these filmmakers you, this isn't a gotcha moment of like i'm a very smart film person like no one no one behind this film was making anything that was like we're making high art it's it's high gloss camp and they know it like do you think Paul Walter Hauser, who famously called me out on Twitter, hey Paul, um, fully? Do you? Think Whoa! He was... Did wait? That happened? Yes, Paul. I responded <laughs> to one of his tweets. He he responded I, to. I a saw negative... that you responded. I didn't know no, he responded back. He quote tweeted back to me of like he shit on this movie and they can affect performance. And I was just like, I'm not dealing with this, so I'm just gonna fake an apology. I mean, I'm gonna give an apology. He's he's going he's going. What you're not apparently the only person he's been like going after on no. Twitter. He's well, mad I, that people are well, like criticizing this movie. I love that. Here's the thing. I loved this movie, and even I was like, bruh, listen, I like don't attack critics for what they think about a movie that is getting good reviews and is being well received by audiences. It's fine. You've been in worse things. You were in Songbird, so maybe sit down. Um, just kidding. I mean, he I, was I actually in Songbird. thought it was funny after you like mentioned that that first response you said to him. I like turned my television on and uh, uh, Richard Jewell was on. And I just like watched ten minutes of Richard Jewell and then just kept thinking about but, him like, like responding to or him in a Twitter war with you as Richard Jewell. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I'm fine. Like, I all respect to him. I think, but like. I, I love him as an actor, I, so I'm I, fine. I do too. <laughs> I, I do too so much. So it's like, call me out. I don't care. I might disagree with you. But like, do you think he was doing this accent in this movie and was going home at the end of the day and was thinking, I nailed that? No. He was having fun with it. And it looked like he was having fun with it. And by proxy, I had fun with it. So it's just, to me, in context, it's it's a more self-aware Disney film, but it's not so self-aware that it's, like, constantly, like, winking at the camera, too. It mm-hmm. walks this fine line that I feel like a lot of times some filmmakers either don't have the dexterity to flush that out, or they're the type of people who want to flush it out so much and then feel constricted by Disney's, like, grip over it. Right. I feel like Craig Gillespie has done a bit of both. He's made kind of the uh, Disney movies, but he's also made kind of like the daring indies as well. And I think this just comes together because it's not a huge, big budget blockbuster. It's more of like a showcase of like how camp can still be elegant and like effective and how that can play into just really high decadence and production design, costume design um cgi dogs um you know and it's just char i think it's just a charming movie it's it's derivative but i feel like everyone has such fun with it and tries to make it its own thing that i i really really enjoyed it more so than a lot of like the absolutely soulless shit that's been coming from disney the past couple years like you know i liked mulan i thought mulan was pretty good but like i think of something like the lion king and i'm like Oh God! In, I, in the conversation for the the worst movie that's ever been made. Yeah, it's I just think like so. <laughs> it's just like oh my God! Like this is all just so 
like I don't need to see re like retelling. That's why I liked Mulan because it was a bit of a different retelling. And like Cruella distances itself so much that it can be its own thing and still flow nicely mm-hmm. into canon. And I think what's good about it too is they set themselves up with such a young Cruella that they now have opportunities to make multiple movies with Emma Stone, and I wouldn't be mad at it. As long as they keep up this, as long as they keep up the energy that like Craig Gillespie and um obviously the whole cast, but like Tony McNamara uh and Dana Fox's screenplay, you know, it's very the favorite because mm-hmm. it was literally written by the people who wrote the favorite. And then also the story was written by Aileen Brosh McKenna, who uh did wrote the screenplay to Devil Wears Prada. So Oh, well, there there you go. Yeah, so if that answers any of our questions here, uh, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, it's just kind of, it, it hits it hits that sweet spot for me. It's also an unabashedly gay film as well. Craig Gillespie deserves a GLAAD award for em- employing as many gay men on this film as he did. There was not yeah. a, there was not a man without a wisp in sight. <laughs> uh... Well, it's, uh, I suppose, a step up for uh, Disney's gay representation from the uh, Russo brothers. Well, uh, what's, <laughs> what's crazy is, I mean, I was I saw something earlier today. People were complaining about, like, oh, it's so gay. Like, it, like, takes me out of it or whatever. I'm like, and the thing is, they don't even mention it. Y'all are just saying, oh, I can't. Well, we can ignore I, they're, just, they're just, Im- <laughs> I know, they're just implying, like, oh, these characters are, like, feminine or, like, what the fuck ever. It's like just call just oh, I can't say that word. I, I was like just call us the f word and just be done with it. Just like just be done with it because that's I mean that's what we are. It's what we consider ourselves to be. So like maybe if you just called it and cut out the middleman, we could just cut out the movie in general. But like they don't they don't touch upon it. No character is like my boyfriend or like actively says it. But you just know and it has that feeling. It's a film that takes place in. 1960s london and the fashion scene do you Mm -hmm. think like anyone in this film like do you think this is going to be like a alpha male experience no you kind of proved your own point by going to see this movie like i don't know i have feelings about it but i just i just i really enjoyed it it was a really enjoyable experience i found i would i'd probably like i said i don't think i would disagree with anything you said and i actually think like you know I I love Emma Stone. Emma, Emma Stone, I think, is one of the, like, two or three best movie stars under the age of, like, I don't know, 30? 30, 30, or no, she, she's, she's, like, 32. So let's yeah. say 35. Yeah. Um, And her and Emma Thompson in this movie, I think, War of the just, Emmas. Just... Like that alone, I found like really fun to watch. Just yeah. these these two women doing these kind of like big, over the top, campy performances, and just sort of like getting a little bit of that favorite energy. I mean, like Emma Thompson in this movie is so funny. Oh, hear me, hear me <laughs> out. Do you want to know what I think Emma Thompson is? Emma Thompson is if Leslie Manville and Phantom Thread went to a drag show and then made that her entire personality. That's that's pretty accurate. That's it pretty was, accurate. It was very it was very Leslie Manville meets camp, like really high, right. like you know, just yeah, like if Leslie Manville was in the favorite. That's literally how it feels. Of just it's I don't know. Yeah. I like that. I, d- I was. The entire time I was like, if this movie was played straight, I feel like this would be Manville and Anya Taylor-Joy going at it. But like, mm. 
we luckily get something a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I like the energy of those two actresses on screen. And, it, you know, it, it clearly seems like uh, Gillespie was going for like a, a slightly different kind of Disney movie. But I, here, here's, here's my issue with this. Okay. And maybe this is a bit of me being having like a knee jerk reaction to some of the, I think like largely positive response to this movie and some of the like hype that was building into it over the past couple weeks. That's but, fair. I feel but, like I was dreading it so much that when it finally came around, I was like, Oh, this is yeah. a surprise. But I just kind of have like, and maybe this is me being a little snobby, but I kind of have like, that's so out of character. <laughs> I just have like an aesthetic issue with a a clear piece of like corporate product like like yeah. un, un like unquestionably the most like pure corporate product kind of movie and insisting on itself yeah. at every turn that like we are we're punk rock we're edgy and that like you that is like saying like a Volkswagen like a Volkswagen commercial saying like we're edgy and punk rock and it's like no 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 you you don't get to call yourself that like that I mean, is i mean that, a big part of i mean a big part of like subculture of uh punk rock is like there's neo-nazi punk rock and volkswagen did start in nazi germany so i mean we can't we can we can pull more similarities between that than we can between this film and i do i fully agree with you on this it is like something i feel so guilty about it like i feel yeah. like a bad film person where i'm like this and it's like yeah but it's, yeah i don't think you need to feel yeah i don't feel you need to feel shame because like i i understand why people would have fun in this it's just the whole yeah. time and i think like the biggest example of this is the soundtrack and you know i would yeah. i would push anyone towards i think regardless of what i can say about like movie soundtracks i think like the book has been open closed like written shut whatever at like saying you want to say for it's, it by this guy patrick willems on youtube did like an incredible video essay recently about like what makes a good needle drop but yeah. the it's the a soundtrack craig here is it's a big craig gillespie, it is a big craig gillespie trademark at this point because if you remember yeah. i tanya also which, famously which I'm had less, a million yeah which i'm less fond drops. of that movie than than you are and i think still yeah. had some similar kind of like um I, I don't know like trying to be scorsese but not quite their well, sort of you, aspect of that but do it so much it just loses its it's like power of like why you chose a certain song for a certain scene because if you're just like throwing songs about in every other scene it does really like pull down of okay i you guys are sort of just grasping at straws for meaning at this point you know so yeah and i i think like this it's it's clearly like Big Big Brother Disney wrote like the giant check, and so you get like four Every Rolling song Stones songs. Yeah, but like to me, but you also have none, none of Brattel these doing the yeah. score. So why not? And the score's really that? good. It's fabulous. <laughs> but I think like my biggest problem with the soundtrack is just okay. That like I keep seeing all these people talk about how great it is, and it's like 
You're saying it's great because you recognize this like very popular song. It's great all... music. It's just not utilized in a no. Smart it's way. used in very on the nose manner. Like I, I actually like wanted to hurl the can of seltzer water I was drinking at the television when I don't think this is like a spoiler to say there's a bit when Cruella Deville, which just look up how that's spelled, walks into a room to Sympathy for the Devil by Rolling Stones. And I like literally was like booing from my couch. I'm like, oh. that's it, as someone who like went through and like watched a lot of all the like Robert Zemeckis movies last fall, like this is how Robert Zemeckis uses soundtracks. Like th- th- this is a soundtrack full of hit iconic songs, but all stuff that you have heard in like, a billion different movies, a billion different commercials, oh. and all used in the most on-the-nose manner possible. It's not like when a Tarantino or a Scorsese does a soundtrack full of like uh, music that you haven't necessarily heard of from that time period. Like, like digging Lost into and, the catalog. Yeah, or using an iconic song in a really like subversive way. And this is just using it in the most kind of like, I don't know, it's just the soundtrack came to sort of embody this whole kind of like faux punk rock aesthetic of just sort of like this movie wants thinks it's punk is selling itself as punk and edgy but really has no idea what punk is and it's and it has really no punk on of, the soundtrack either really i mean there's a little bit of like the original weird song that kind of comes up and like there's the yeah there, the there's a clash song that a lot of people have been humorously pointing out came out like years after the the movie is actually yeah. set um but I, I don't know. I just, there is something about this movie's insistence it's on, not, it's a we, lot. we are, uh, we're in the edgy take on a Disney character and me just sort of being like, but this is clearly just, you're not, you're not fooling me. This is not, um, this isn't the favorite. This isn't her smell. Like this is not the punk edgy movie you think it is. And of like, as fun as these two performances in it, it it just sort of like drove me a little crazy of like this movie is not as as hard edged and subversive yes. as it thinks it is. I mean, here's the thing though: Searchlight Pictures made the favorite, which is also owned by Disney. So in in turn, it's kind of also a corporate product and uses. I mean, it's right. kind of it's kind of hard to say any of these big wide release films are like not some form of corporate product in in some way. However, I do agree with you that you know obviously disney is like the corporation though so it's kind of right but also i completely agree on the soundtrack that was like the one thing where i was like congrats on getting the rights to all this music but oh my god pull back just a little bit let nicholas bertel make a good score for any action scene in the film maybe if you have a scene where you have to take some dogs from a dog like groomer maybe we don't need car wash by rose royce playing like yeah like i don't see how that fits also that song also came out after this movie takes place so like that was disco disco hadn't happened yet so like you know if you're gonna stick to it stick to it but you know it's just it's a lot and i think craig gillespie needs to chill on that but it didn't take me out of the movie so much there were just some times where i was just like okay Cool. yeah that's fine like and then sometimes where i was just like uh but luckily since there's so many of them they never last for any more than like 20 seconds yeah i i kind of don't mind when a movie i mean it is sort of weird of like i heard nicholas Patel was doing the score and after the movie was over i was like wait 
so I don't remember any of his score and had to like look it up later, but I, I normally don't kind of mind a movie that is just sort of like wall to wall needle drops. As long as those needle drops are used in sort of really creative and, and unique ways. And this just sort of be, seemed like, I mean, like they play time point, of the, the season when she started a new job. Yes. Or, or like the Rolling Stones song, she's a rainbow, which I was like, that's on an Adobe commercial. <laughs> like yeah. an Adobe Photoshop commercial that plays all the time. Yeah, like and, I, yeah, I, I totally get. Like, even if I mean, I feel like I still probably would have had an issue with it, even if it was like wall to wall of like indie artists. But it would have felt mm-hmm. a little bit more, um, I guess, genuine in its punk rockness. But at right. the same time, again, I was going into this knowing it was a Disney property. I wasn't expecting hard hitting political uh anarchist allegory from this film so uh it didn't it didn't bother me too much but i can see how it would i definitely can see the like repellent part of it though yeah it just sort of seemed to me like kind of as i said earlier just sort of like an ultimate contradiction of the sort of like the 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 a, a big expensive movie from the biggest entertainment studio seemingly we have right now say like announcing itself and trying to be sort of like the the edgier alternative to what it what it already is yeah um but let's talk about the second movie of the weekend which we both saw in theaters i think it kind of already seems based off some of the box office numbers i've been seeing reading today that is 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 a hit unsurprisingly yeah um and that is a quiet place too um, for those who didn't see the first A Quiet Place, it's the sort of, I would say, surprise hit uh, sci-fi thriller directed by John Krasinski from a couple years back, um, centered around a family surviving in a post-apocalyptic world where the Earth has been overrun with these alien monsters that have like a heightened sense of hearing. And therefore but they this, can't see. They're- they can't see, but... Um, their hearing is sensitive enough that this family basically has to live in, in total silence. And I don't know. I actually, I don't think I've ever talked with you about the first movie. I thought it was like a fun surprise. If only because as many people, I'm sure I did not expect John Krasinski, AKA Jim from the office for most people probably to have this kind of movie in him. And I think the premise of that movie and really the, the second one as well, the premise of both of these, I think, offers up very simple but effective suspense sequences of, you know, it's, you basically can just sort of, like, create all these situations where, like, a character is in a really noisy environment, but they gotta be as quiet as possible, because if you make any sudden noise, then one of these monsters is coming to find you, mm-hmm. and I just got... A, a a sense of fun out of watching Krasinski kind of like put together these little like checkoff gun situations and sort of like set up these environments and situations where uh you know a character is probably going to have to make some sort of noise and that's going to cause peril like the the bit I always think of is there's like uh a scene where there's a nail coming out of a <laughs> they did a callback like they, they to, call to that in this movie too and i thought it was tawdry and unnecessary 
but like there there's a bit in the first movie where there's a nail coming out of a stair like a wooden stairboard and a character running down that that stairwell and they're all barefoot because they can't make his like shoes make noise so like right and and you know if they step on that nail then they're going to to scream and that's going to cause a one of the monsters to come and and so building tension out of just sort of like simple little things like that um, they amp it up to the max in this one though in the opening with oh yeah i mean i i so first i guess i'll get your thoughts on the the first movie were you were you a fan were you one of these people who thought it was really overrated like me were you like eh, i don't know that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread but like a fun night at the movies and a really effective thriller i would say so yeah i enjoyed it quite a bit um i never really like i returned to it once before you know a quiet place part two Mm-hmm. And I remembered how much, like, oh, yeah, this movie's, like, really, like, really effective. But it's not yeah. something that I feel like, it's not the type of horror film that I really watch and I get genuinely scared by. But Yeah, I, find, I would say the same. But I find that Krasinski, in the screenplay that, I mean, in the first one, it was written by Brian Woods and Scott Beck, and then Krasinski rewrote it, and then this one was fully written by Krasinski. Um, I find that he really understands like the family dynamic of this film well that raises mm-hmm. or it like exposes the emotional center of the film a lot better than other films of its type like Bird Box or you know oh, Bird Box yeah it's like and you think of a film like that and you're like that movie got it all wrong because right. they didn't take that time they just wanted to make it about the spectacle of like these people dying and it's like a quiet place you didn't get that it was fully contained and it was just like you had to believe what was going on outside more so than what you actually saw on screen and i found that really effective and then i found i found like it's really assaulting opening for a quiet place part two to be a really good (laughs) it, it was so good it was such a good like flip from what the first film did and then mm-hmm. it's like immediate callback to like the exact ending of the first film with that whole sequence pre-title screen just it was fabulous and it just it was that like i didn't think i didn't expect that to get me as much as it did going into it because i'll be honest going into this movie because of the the first film i really mm-hmm. like but it's not something that lives in my head all the time same yeah it's something because it's not something that's brand new, but it's something that is really built upon in a really classic manner. It is a studio-funded horror thriller that has sci-fi elements, and it's like there's a million of those. But I think what's so effective is that it was made on such a small scale, and because of that, you're forced to reckon with a lot more emotional aspects than you would in a bigger scale film. And I think after that opening my fear was it was gonna become a big blockbuster and i was really happy to see that it was all still relatively contained albeit a little less so since they have left their home um yeah that's that's interesting you mentioned that because i i do kind of think while i definitely had a fun time watching the sequel and you know would certainly say if if anyone out there liked the first one, I think you're going to get your money's worth with the second one. My maybe like one kind of criticism towards the movie was be, um, 
I think it's got a little bit of like a a Saving Private Ryan issue in that like the fir- the opening sequence is so good which, which uh, we should say I don't think it's a spoiler to say cuz it's kind of in the trailer the opening scene is basically a extended flashback to the the day the creatures arrive in this this small town and it is very I I mean I I almost thought it was like Spielbergian. I know that's, oh, that, that 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 is that is flippantly used very, all the time in blockbusters. Wo- very War of the Worlds. I yes, say. yes. It reminded like, me of the the Spielberg just, War of the Worlds, which scared oh, me as a kid. And that like, and just that that single shot of from inside the car. Oh my god! It's just so amazing. Good. The like, it, it, and apparently, like Emily Blunt did her own stunts with that. Like, mm-hmm. and fully got on board with it and i i am someone i had a i want to really dislike these films because like i am not someone i think it's okay to love the office but i don't think it's okay to love the office and i just get a little (laughs) sometimes i just get a little tired of john krasinski he's just kind of like that's fair just all american boy who probably could be conservative but probably isn't and i'm just reading into it too much but like sometimes he's just a little much for me and I just, I don't find myself drawn to his stuff, but then he makes something like this behind the camera, and I'm just like, god damn it, that's good. You know your shit, sir. And it's like, there's something so effective about, like, this is a movie with, like, it's not mind-blowing, but it is good, clean direction with a strong emotional center, and it is a short, concise, streamlined, simple plot that everyone can like no one's too good for the type of story it's telling here because it's kind of hard not to you know insert yourself either into that situation or feel what it would be like if one of your family member like if you were in this with so-and-so people etc how would it be handled and i think a quiet place part two also it almost the timing almost worked out better because this movie is about like what happened to the world outside and how mm. everyone turned on each other and tore each other apart. And I'm genuinely kind of for that in the post COVID era, because I am not ready for this revisionism of we all came together. We all got through it together. No, we tore ourselves apart just like they did in this movie. And I think mm-hmm. it's more accurate than some things that are trying to claim. Like we did something amazing during the pandemic. It's like, no, if this we would do the same thing to each other Mm -hmm. so it's it has this like approach to it that i feel like hits a little bit more after its delay because this was like the first movie to get hit from a pandemic delay which was huge when it happened so it's like we're picking up but i would argue i'll be completely honest i genuinely think i liked part two more than the first one Interesting. I, I I would probably I haven't rewatched the first one since it was in theaters. I think with this one, I'd like to double ca- double head them. Like yeah, because really... I I I think kind of what I was getting at with the opening is like the that opening scene is so good, and I think shows a kind of like a step up and a s- sense of ambition in Krasinski's direction of like you know when I when I saw the first one was sort of describing it as like Krasinski kind of like learning in real time how to like be a thriller director and kind of all these behind the scenes interviews and 
um, that he was giving where he was saying like, you know, I don't like horror movies, but I like read a lot of um, books about them and like studied them and watched them. And you could kind of feel that energy. And the first one is someone who is not a big horror person, but is like, all right, so if I put this here and then like the person's coming over here and then, Oh my gosh, I got to set up in a payoff. I did it. Yeah. And, and, and in this opening sequence saying, Oh no, he's, he's really um, grown as a filmmaker and then maybe felt while the rest of the movie, once it gets back to, to present day or present day in the, the mm. world of the film. Um, well, I, I still thought, entertaining and suspenseful felt like a pulling back of that ambition and back yeah. into more of the rhythms of the first movie in in which it's it's sort of a bit more contained yeah. and a bit more um uh, i can't I believe did. i want to say quiet but quiet yeah. and 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 sort of missed a little bit of that ambition of the first movie which i thought was going to carry through yeah. for the rest of it yeah i get i get that and i definitely do agree like if we're talking about pure adrenaline the movie did kind of peak in its opening scene because it is again it is just so good that mm. it's kind of hard to pull back and like be like continue that without making a big movie throughout i almost but i almost kind of like that because i i feel like it would have been really easy for him to go big and get the studio money this time i mean granted the first one was mm -hmm. also funded by paramount so it wasn't like right. a little indie film but like obviously had a medium-sized budget got a massive massive return so you would think that you know someone i think maybe a little less in tune to the story they want to tell uh would maybe jump the shark and go a little too big but i i enjoyed the the smallness still of it i mm -hmm. I, I still like that most of it was just kind of like it was again self-contained and it had the two separate storylines of you know noah jupe and emily blunt but also killian murphy and millicent simmons after she you know puts it on herself to save everyone or whatnot i'm trying not to spoil Who, it too much yeah i mean i think it interesting you bringing up um bring up her uh who plays the daughter both um, the kids in this every say they get better in they're each one. they're great i mean i i would not i i was expecting emily blunt to kind of just turn into the the lead of the movie now that no. I, I mean spoiler alert if you haven't seen the first a, a quiet place um krasinski does does not make it until it's why he's end. not in literally any of the promos for this one so if you didn't put that together that's kind of on you the movie's been out for three years <laughs> right so I, I was sort of expecting like you had a whole blunt... year year and you had a whole 14 <laughs> months to catch up with this yeah so i was sort of expecting blunt to kind of like take in uh, sort of step up to the lead role but it's really more of like uh melissa Evenly. simmons yeah Evenly dispersed but like yeah I mean, and, they and she really carries moments. her section of the movie and is like yeah. a movie star which i was you know i'm Bully. normally not someone who is charmed by children children in movies yeah, same. but you know like i i was just like i mean she she is on the same level with killian murphy and like that feels like an even lot. dynamic of energy and charisma yeah, and yeah and I, and I i enjoyed their scenes together and i love it too i really love that this film it's not one of those movies that necessarily always like like even between two hearing characters they will speak sign language with captions and i really mm -hmm. like that 
because it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel cumbersome the way that I feel like a lot of people think accessibility is going to feel to them as an able-bodied person. And mm-hmm. like, I just, I just think like it's usage of, obviously it's usage of sound because it is a movie about sound attracting, you know, monsters. But like, I feel like the way they also like work with Millicent Simmons, both her character as well as her own real life, um, like hard of hearing disability i feel like it it just works so well not only in the context of the film but i feel like krasinski approaches it really smartly and in this way that i feel like or at least i hope can continue to more films that can more casually feature like hard of hearing actors hard of hearing characters Mm -hmm. with with not that much of like a a hump of why are we doing this it's just like it's more ingrained and i just i really liked that and i just felt she she just does it all so well in just a way that i mean even if it weren't a part of the character i just feel like it's just a really great performance and i'm really glad to see i'm glad to see people playing characters with disabilities who actually do have them and can work from that like inner workings i think of like kiara allen and run as well with sarah paulson she's a a a wheelchair bound actress and did the entire film including a lot of not in her wheelchair scenes in the Mm -hmm. film herself and it it really does make that difference and i think she does great i think noah jupe also kind of in between this and the last one he had you know like a lot of films come out a lot of television shows mostly. yeah the biggest honey, honey boy, boy ford versus ferrari yeah that awful like, nicole kidman show from last I fall <laughs> i didn't watch it but i know he was in it but like he's he's really good and i feel like they give him they give both of the kids so much more to work with both mm-hmm. emotionally but then like there's just some really visceral scenes in this film like there is a lot of um leg trauma in this film and as someone who has had (laughs) a good amount of that in my life it was a bit triggering but like if 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 the nail on the the stairboard the the stairway sounds excruciating to you i I will much everyone gets fucked somehow there's a scene early on in this movie that i will i will not spoil but some of the best (laughs) child acting i've ever seen though just like yeah just in the intensity of it all it's just i was just like oh my god oh my god he's really screaming like that yeah a, a scene they, where someone steps on something else and it re- is worse than a nail in a, i'm like in they a really board. they they probably did that to that poor child because he's screaming like it really something really bad just happened to him it was so good and like you know and i think in scenes like that where you do have to like and it was it was rough too because you know because of the sound you can't make noise in this movie and it it, it it all comes together it all comes together really nicely and i love it when just like a good genre movie comes around especially when it's one that like actually does get it's like flowers early mm-hmm. on of like i mean granted again i was always scared of this film before it came out because it was produced by michael bay but like which is very ironic but you know uh just it works for me i think it just comes together really nicely and i like the world the small world that it builds and i think this is a really i feel like this is gonna be a good trilogy because i'm assuming there has to be a part three 
And I feel yeah, like if they I, can I wrap everything this... up in three, would it would be this would be probably like the two towers of the interesting of the, yeah of the thing I, i'm i i guarantee you based off how much money it looks like it's making already and sort of how this movie ends which i don't i don't feel like is necessarily a cliffhanger but the movie just sort of stops at a certain point it ends very similarly to the first film where it's like but and then it's just yeah. done and it's like it's it's it ends in its big moment where it's like you're still really when it gets into that like silent credit sequence at the end, it's just like you're still kind of your blood's still pumping. There's not like a and this is what we're doing next, or you know, we will persevere, we will go forward in the world. It's just like, no, it's over. Mm-hmm. This story is done and maybe we'll pick it up later, maybe we won't. Um, I will say a sixty million dollar post pandemic opening leads me to believe we're probably gonna see what happens directly after it. Yeah, I mean, I this is clearly like set to be, I'm sure, a big franchise for for Paramount. Yeah, I hope it's... it's just a trilogy. I hope it's just a part three and they're done. I hope Krasinski directs all three, and mm-hmm. then you know they could reboot it in 15 years. I don't care, but like you know, I just feel like it's just it's so simple and straightforward. I think three 90 minute movies would be like a good link for it i feel like we are a good two-thirds of the way through the story now just thinking about this as a trilogy i'm going to be a little sad if it is and that you know the the progression of titles wasn't a quiet place a quieter place and then the, the quietest place, place. <laughs> oh yeah i was oh god no that oh fuck i didn't I'm gonna snap Paramount, get it. That. C- call me. Yeah, <laughs> we for can, real. We can still fix they this. They can. They. I mean, they did it. The, you know how they changed like Edge of Tomorrow to Live Die Repeat. They can just do that. Say, that movie has like four titles. Emily Blunt's used to it. Uh, so, but I'm. You know, I was really. I was happy with the way that it went because I. I just had this feeling in me. I was like, this is gonna be a a, a sequel that disappoints me because the first one kind of felt like such a special like surprise mm-hmm. that the second one now it's like a corporate product you know like we spoke of but it didn't feel like that it still felt like a small film of like what Krasinski wanted to do as opposed to what Paramount wanted Krasinski to do right and I, I feel I, like I, that I almost s- always works out of just yeah. like letting if you see someone have a great vision if you just let them have it you're gonna get most of the time you're going to get something better than if you like metal. So now I do think that some streaming sites like Netflix and stuff are showing us that some directors do need some studio meddling, but I feel like Krasinski is not one of them. Yeah. He's, he's really morphed into, I think a a very talented genre movie. director. And I want to be so bored by him. I want to be so bored by him. I want him to be, like a Ryan Reynolds to me of just like, you're hot, but you're just bore me at this point. You do the same things, but he's not, he's doing really interesting things that speak to me, but also he does like stuff like Jack Ryan and does that, like sells his like free YouTube show to CBS for $10 million in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know. But like, well, Hunter, thank you for, for stopping by this week. Uh, coming up later on the latest uh, next week, we'll be heading back into the Conjuring universe to talk about why the devil the devil made them do it. 
I don't think this new one looks very good, but I'm still. Good I to see it. I've I've heard mixed things about it because it's it's already out in the UK right now. So there's some yeah. like UK reviews. Um, and then the week after that, we'll be talking about In the Heights, the new Lin Manuel Miranda movie, which I have heard is very good, and I'm I've very heard excited to see. Phenomenal, and I hate it because I just want to roast. Lin Manuel Miranda, but if it's good, it's good. Can we talk about how before Corella they showed three consecutive trailers for musicals, and it's like, wow, y'all big, really big musical year. Y'all I really, re- y'all really tripled down on the musicals right when the Golden Globes go bye bye. Like, there's, there's, I was looking at an IndieWire list that was like, there are nine big screen mu- music. Well, not necessarily like big screen, but nine musicals. That we have coming this year, starting I mean, off with the top In the Heights. Of, I would say, off the top of my head, they showed In the Heights, they showed a West Side Story trailer, which I'm still not with. However, seeing that trailer in Dolby Cinema was beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And then they showed one for Respect. And then off the top of my head, I know that Cyrano is coming. I know that Annette's coming. I know that uh, Dear Evan Hansen, unfortunately, is coming. Um, There's the the Cinderella musical. That's a musical? Are you kidding me? I believe so. Oh, yeah. and everybody's talking about Jamie. I forgot about that too. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah, because that got sold to to Amazon, which makes is me sad. It- and but. there's tick there's tick tick boom with Andrew Garfield, which Lin Manuel Miranda is directing, and that's going on Netflix. And then there is it. I'm, I think there's I saw there's a Princess Diana musical coming. I'm gonna kill myself. Please tell me that that's not. Wait, is I, it the 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 Pablo Lorraine movie's not a? I, I don't believe it is that, but I think I think it's just called no. Diana. I'm I'm gonna no. look this up right now. No, it can't. That's I can't. <sighs> is it real? So it's a. It's a stage show, but it doesn't look like they're okay. making a film yet. Okay. Oh, this feels wrong. This feels wrong. Oh, oh, it's a, it's like, um, it's coming to Netflix, but it's like they did with Hamilton. Oh, it's a live, okay, it's a okay, live, okay. A live sh- uh, recording it's, of it's it. It's a recording of it. Okay. Oh, okay. my mom's going to eat that shit up. I can't let her know that this exists. Oh no. Well, while you go do that, we'll sign off on this week's episode of the latest. Thank you again to Hunter Howman as always for Oh, it's for always good to us. be here. Thank you.